of the old faces and um, just great uh, old faces that look wonderful, by the way. Um, <laughs> just really, really great to be back. And, uh, you know, I just saw Wayne while he was doing the announcements wearing some fallies. And I thought to myself, you know, here's this wonderful British man out here in South Africa wearing his little safari suit. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the accent. You get rid of the accent. There's not much there. No, I'm joking. He's a wonderful man. A wonderful man. And I know it's, uh, the church is not full today because of me. I believe that the church is full today because God is busy doing something. You know, I, I, I wanted to actually lean into, you know, just to tell Binks, can you just sense the Holy Spirit here? And uh, while we were singing, I could just feel your voices behind me worshiping the Lord. And uh, wonderful to experience that the Lord is definitely moving. And uh, we want to give greetings from Junction Church Every Nation in four ways. So if you're ever in four ways, please come and, you know, Come and, come and see us. Come and see us. We'd love to see you there. Love to host you. Um, and uh, we've got a wonderful church. You know, we are snuggled in between um, Stain City. Those of you who've ever heard of Stain City and Danefin Golf Estate and Deepslurt the Township. And when you look at our church, you have got CEOs and homeless people. You have got well-educated and people with a grade one you have got people that um, do not have much, but other people that have plenty. And all these people together, very often people say, what is your target market? And I say, well, we took like a shotgun and a shot into the atmosphere. And who came, who came. And we've got a wonderful, dynamic, vibrant experience in our church. And we really believe that God is busy working in us and through us in a wonderful congregation. And, but that said, being back here, wonderful to experience what God is doing with you. Now, I know Davis told me that you guys have been speaking about miracles, about trusting God, hearing God's voice. And so this morning, I'm going to take a little bit further and just share a little, little sermon from my side. But first of all, I want to ask a question. How many of you love a miracle story? Hey, everybody loves a miracle story. It's, thank you so much for sharing your story this morning as well. Everybody loves a miracle story, but not many people like the story before the miracle story. Because more often than not, when you need a miracle, when you're crying out to God for a miracle, there is quite a reason why you are crying out. And very few people enjoy the process of having to walk through the difficulty before the promise comes through. It's not always easy. But I want to tell you that God is real. God still moves miraculously today. And it's so exciting to see what's happening even in our Every Nation movement, trusting God for the miraculous hand of the Lord to move in our communities, to see people set free, and to build your faith as well. And so this morning, I'm going to share, you know, kind of a, a, one of the sermons that we did in our series, which was called Miracles, Let Him Be Known. Let Him Be Known. And it's about seven miracles in the book of John, the seven signs in the book of John that speaks about all these different miracles that take place. We've got the water turned into wine. We've got the healing of the paralyzed man, the healing of the official son. We have got all these miracles taking place and they point us to the fact that Jesus is Lord of all, that he was the son of God 
and how he moved in compassion and in a miraculous way in the lives of people and he transformed their lives. And so this morning, I'm going to be focusing on the miracle or the sign of Jesus walking on water. Now, before you leave here today, you're going to walk out with the following thoughts. Number one, you're going to know that Jesus is the Lord of all and he's the Lord of the storm. That he is the Lord that is greater than the storm. And that we need to believe that. We need to know that. And not only that, not only is he the Lord of the storm, he reveals himself in the storm. The Lord reveals himself in the storm. And not only does he do that, you're going to walk away today knowing that not only does Jesus take us to the other side, to our destination, he's going to transform you in the storm. Very often we want the shortcut, you know, beam me up, Scotty, I want to go from here to here. Teleported immediately to the good life. But you're going to find that God transforms us in the storm. So we're going to catch up the story in a moment. I'm just going to give you some background. Jesus has now just fed the 5,000. One of the signs, it's the fourth sign in the book of John. He's just fed the 5,000. And then he's now about to do the miracle of walking on water. So we're going to catch up um, in John. And we're going to read from verse 14. It says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across to the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near their boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Can we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you and we trust that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us here this morning. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We want to see you. We want to know you. We are listening, Lord. Use us for your glory. Transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever tried to walk on water? When you first heard that story, I remember I tried that. You know, that didn't really work out for me. Um, maybe it did for you. I don't know. But... Everybody tried it. Everybody heard the story of Jesus walking on the water, and I wish sometimes I was there to see it. I really wish I was there to see it. I, I'm sure it would have made quite an impact on my life if I was there to see it, and I think many of you might feel exactly the same. I wish I was there to see Jesus, to see him walking on water, to see all the things that he would have done. But actually, when you read this passage, there is so much more happening than just the walking on the water. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the background which we're going to be chatting about in a moment. Firstly, what we see is that the people wanted to make Jesus king. Because there are these political overtones that you start to see in the passage. 
Those of you who have ever read the Old Testament, you may uh, remember the story of Moses who fed the people with manna in the desert. Obviously, the Lord fed them, but Moses was the leader, and the people would be fed by manna in the desert, and he was the leader that led them out of Egypt and then eventually on the cusp of going into the promised land. And here you find Jesus. He just fed the 5,000. And they're looking at him thinking, he fed 5,000 people. This is miraculous. And maybe, just maybe, like Moses, he's going to lead us. He's going to be the king that's going to take us away from the Roman domination. He's going to restore the fortunes of Israel. And he's going to give us a political kingdom back. We're going to get rid of all these terrible people. And we are going to rule the world. Cannot wait. They want to make him king. They see these political and scriptural overtones in that. Now, how many of you know politicians love to capitalize on uh, political moments? You know, the politicians that are always going to promise you everything that they're going to do for you. They're going to come and kiss your baby. And they're going to, you know, uh, make sure that you are going to get money in your bank account and in your post box. And they're going to take care of you. Um, And then especially when there is another political rival that does something wrong, they pounce on it and they tell everybody how bad that guy is. I mean, politics can be quite a fractious experience for those of you maybe who have been in politics. And when you look at what Jesus has done, he's just fed 5,000 people. They are witnesses to what he's done. In fact, it's, you know, the most witnesses at the time of the seven signs. 5,000 people see him feeding them and they're like, wow, this guy's amazing. And his disciples must be thinking, Jesus, if ever there was a moment to capitalize and kiss a few babies, this is it. <laughs> Remember, they weren't quite clear about exactly the nature of Jesus' mission just yet. They weren't quite clear about who he was, what he was doing. They knew he was special. They knew that he was out of the ordinary, and they were slowly getting this progressive revelation of who Jesus is. They don't have a full picture of Jesus, and they themselves must be thinking, Jesus, you know, if you had to now force a political coup, this is the moment, and you might very well be able to lead our people out of Roman domination. This is your moment. Do it. But Jesus does exactly the opposite. He withdraws. He withdraws. And the people disperse. And the disciples are left having to go and row in a boat over the Sea of Galilee. And they must be thinking to themselves, but Lord, but but why? But why would you do that? And as they are rowing, if that's not bad enough, they start to row. And then the Sea of Galilee was really renowned for some pretty intense storms. And these storms would whip up over the Sea of Galilee. And it would be, there were many people would actually come to their doom in the Sea of Galilee. And so they are in this storm and they are rowing according to the Gospel of Mark. We know that they rowed for about nine hours. Nine hours. How many of you have ever tried to swim against the current here in wilderness? To go and swim against the current. You, you, you're not going anywhere. Your arms turn into noodles. You're just tired and you know, faith starts to get drained out of you. Imagine rowing against the current for nine hours. How many of you would start to get a little bit despondent? 
Because not only am I in the storm, not only am I afraid, Jesus has left us when we were supposed to experience glory of political domination. How many of you would think to yourself, I'm a little bit um, deflated about this entire situation? Pretty demoralized. How many of you sometimes ask the question, Jesus, why would you allow a storm in my life? How many of you sometimes ask that question, Lord, but why would you allow this? Wouldn't it be better if you had to bless me abundantly with all things at all times and I've got no storms in my life and I'm going to go onto Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to show everybody how good you've been to me. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? I'm going to show them my bends. And show them all my nice kids that are smiling perfectly so that everybody can see how awesome my family is. And that way, I'm going to be able to glorify your name in such a much better way. Why on earth are you going to allow storms in my life? But it happens. It happens. It was never in God's plan for there to be no storms in your life. If we read scripture, you find that storms and difficulty and trial is very much part and parcel of the human experience because of the fallen world that we live in. It's part of it. But what God does is He storm-proofs our life to be able to grow. And this is where Jesus comes in. More often than not, it's in the storm that He reveals his glory, and He changes the way that you view Him. And this brings us to our first big thought. Jesus reveals His glory in the storm. Now, when we look at the storm, you know, and the story of walking on water, the climax of the story is not the storm. And the climax of the story is not when they get to the other side. Yes, they are afraid. They're thinking, is he a ghost? Who is this person? But when Jesus walks on water, they eventually recognize who he really is. And that is the climax of the story. Because in the storm, the Lord reveals for the first time and they realize exactly who he is. And you're going to see a little bit later how their lives are transformed. They realize now suddenly, remember, right in the first bit of the passage, it says, He is the prophet that has come into the world. And I think when he was walking on that water, immediately they realized, this is no prophet. This is not a man. This is someone completely otherworldly that now comes and he tames and he calms the storm. And even though they weren't very well educated as Jewish men, they would have had a pretty strong grasp of the scriptures. And they probably would have been reminded of Psalm 77. It says this, The waters saw you, God. And the waters saw you. It writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked, and your path led through the sea, and your way through the mighty waters. He is not just a trickster who fed 5,000 people. He's not just a prophet come to do a few nice things. He is not an earthly king. This is God himself, and even nature bows to him. And they're starting to realize there is something 
otherworldly is busy taking place. And as he walks, he turns to them and he says, Do not be afraid. It is I. And being Jewish men, they would have remembered when Moses met with the Lord for the first time and he said, What shall I tell the people who you are? What, what is your name? And then God speaks to Moses and he says, I am. I am. I mean, what a powerful statement. Don't call me this. I am. I mean, how, how confident and secure is that? <laughs> I am. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. I am. And it says they are no longer afraid. All of us will face storms in our lives. But Scripture says the Lord storm-proofs our lives. How many of you remember that famous passage in the book of Matthew where he says, those who hear the word and put it into practice, they are like the people that build their house on the rock. And the storms came and the winds blew, but the house stood firm because it was built on the rock. Because you are looking to Jesus. And I remember that famous old hymn, turn your eyes towards Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will look strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When we look to Christ, when we are built on the rock, when we know who He is, our, 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 the way that we view Him has changed, that is when we're able to stand when difficulty comes. That's when we're able to stand. I love, um, there was an old preacher, his name was uh, Charles Spurgeon. And I remember listening to many of his sermons, obviously not on podcast, it was in the 1800s. But, um, you know, you would, you would read his, his sermons and, and just the depth of character and the depth of understanding of who God was. And he preached the message on Jesus walking on the water. And this is what he said about it. So be of good cheer, for Jesus Christ will come to you even when it's all dark around you. And here's another word of cheer for you, namely, that when he does come, it will be in a way that you will, it will give you a higher sense of his glory than you ever had before. You have seen him on the land, but you've never yet seen him on the water. Well, you could not see him walking on the water unless you are on the water yourself. And you could not see Jesus calming the storm unless there was a storm to be quieted. And if the wind did not blow, you could not tell whether he could control it. Trial is absolutely necessary in order to reveal to us some of the attributes of our gracious God. Storms are so vital for our faith. And I know we live in a, in a world today where there is a lot of preaching about, you know, when you become a Christian, oh, Jesus is going to sort everything out in your life. Everything's going to be perfect and you're going to get a Benz and... And you're going to, you know, if you just throw some money in the box, then all the blessings are going to come on you. Now, we know and understand that God is a God of abundance, amen, that He takes care of us, and He does take us to the other side. However, what we do need to realize is that when storms come, that is how the Lord shapes our faith, and that's how we reveal something different. Because if it wasn't for the storm, it didn't have to be quieted. And that is more often than not that we start to grow. There's something that happens in our hearts. So here's a, here's a few 
questions that I like to ask you. How many of you have ever had prayers that weren't answered exactly the way that you thought they would be answered? And you think, but Lord, why? Here I am on the boat. I'm honoring you and I'm rowing and it's not happening. But something's busy happening. The Lord is moving. We've been singing that song. Um, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, we know that you are working. You are doing something in our lives. And that's something to hold on to as well. Here's a few questions. How do you view Jesus? Is he Lord? Or is he just a good moral teacher? Is he the king of the universe? Or just a man? Or a historical figure to you? How do you view him today? How do you experience him? How do you view his power? Do you view his power here? 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 Or do you realize that he's all-powerful? That he's capable of all things? And very often we limit God because we think he cannot do certain things. Or maybe I know he might do it for that person, but I don't know if he's going to do it for me. How many of you ever experienced that? How do you view Jesus and how do you view his power? And maybe the trial and the storm that you might find yourself in today or maybe in the future is a way for the Lord to reveal something greater about his glory in your life. So that you can put in a monument in your life. You know, when you look at the people of Israel, they are often reminded all the time, make a monument, build, a, build something so that the next generations can remember that which God has done. And very often the storms in our lives, that's a moment for you to build a monument that you can always look back and say, you've come through for me there. I know that you'll come through for me again. I know that you will. So immediately it says that they reach the other side. Some theologians believe this is a, this is a double miracle. Okay, that he, uh, uh, not only does he walk on water, but he transports them back to the, to, the, to the other side. Other theologians just believe, listen, they were probably just close to where they were. You know, sometimes, sometimes we are very close to our breakthrough, we just don't see it yet. You know? um, but regardless, Jesus does take them to the other side. And that brings us to our second big thought here, which is Jesus brings them through the chaos of the storm while transforming them in the storm. Yes, he takes them to the other side, but he transforms them in. Sometimes God comes through quickly. Other times God comes through a little bit later than what we wanted them to come through. How many of you know God is never early, never late? He's always on time according to the way that he wants it to play out. In the way that he wants us to experience him, how he is growing our faith in some way. He is transforming you regardless. How many of you remember the car company Nissan? Now when I was growing up, there was this ad and they had this little jingle that said, Nissan, enjoy the ride. Remember that? <laughs> and very often we just want to get, we just want to get to the other side. I don't care about the journey. I just want to get to the other side, to my destination. But maybe the Lord is trying to say, you know, listen, like Nissan, life's a journey. Enjoy the ride and allow the Lord to do the process in you. You don't want to miss out on that. And if you're only focusing on the destination, you're not realizing God is doing something in me. Sometimes we don't need to, we need to stop praying, Lord, why? And we need to start praying, Lord, what? What are you doing? Why is this happening? 
How would you want me to respond? I'm trusting you to get me to the other side, but while I'm here, Lord, what are you doing in me? How do you want to change me? How do you want to change my faith? How do you want me to become a better man, a better husband, um, someone of greater faith, someone that trusts you for miraculous breakthrough? What is it that you are doing in my life? But we need to have faith that he will take us to the other side. You know, there's a bit of a tension here, isn't it? You know, you don't want to be a glutton for punishment. You know, I'm just going to stay in this door, man, because it's holy. We still need to have faith. Yes, God, it's tough now. You're doing something in me, but I still believe. I still believe that you're going to take me to the other side. I still believe. When I read about Paul's uh, in Paul's writings in Philippians, one of the tougher experiences of his, but such a book of great faith, where he says, if I die, I go on to be with the Lord. But if I keep on living, you guys are lucky, because I'm going to continue to preach to you. But regardless of what happens, Christ is King. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to live for Him. There's still faith. God's going to save me. But there is still an understanding of his will be done. Something is busy happening in him. And I'm reminded of Psalm 107. It says, He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. How many of you want to be guided to your desired haven? That God will still the storm. He's going to do something. And that we have faith for that. That He is a good God. Maybe you're right in the middle of a storm. I don't know what your life situation looks like. Maybe you've been trusting God, but it feels like He's not answering the prayer. But I want to tell you that as you listen to this message, you need to have faith that He will deliver you. He's a good God. We just sang it, didn't we? He's a good God. He's a good God. But don't neglect the transformation process. Because the disciples, as you're going to see in a moment, they had their view of Jesus completely transformed. Now, if you remember, those of you who remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there were 5,000 men, I think, who were obviously a lot more people, but they dispersed. They saw the miracle, then they dispersed. It was only the disciples that were in the boat. The disciples were on the water, the people dispersed. After Jesus walks on water and he takes the, these disciples to the other side, he eventually gets into conversation with a crowd. The same people that wanted to make him king. The same people that said, let's make him king. We're going to follow this man. He is the guy. And he starts to speak about being the bread of life. And the people are like, hang on a second, but how does this, what a bread of life story. And he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And they were like, is this guy a cannibal? What does this mean? And it says many left him. Many left him. They turned their back on him. They didn't understand what was going on. Now watch this in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now watch this. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The 5,000 who were not in the boat, they didn't have their perspective of Jesus transformed. The same people that wanted to make him king then walked away from him. The disciples didn't understand the full understanding of communion, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. What does that mean? We don't know. But even though we don't fully comprehend this yet, we're going to follow you anyway. Why? Because we know that you are the Holy One. Transformed. Changed. But it happened on the water. Very often in life, we want to we wanna avoid the water and the storm. But it was in the water and the storm that their perception of Him was completely changed. What are you dealing with today? What is it that God wants to say to you today? What is the process that He is taking you through? Lord, not why. Lord, what are you doing? but that you're going to have a wholehearted and a hard-nosed faith to say, I know my God is good. He's going to take me to the other side. And I'm going to close with this. One of the greatest storms, and the reason why Jesus can calm the storm, is that he, he dealt with the greatest storm of all. The fact that we were separated from God, and He came to earth as a man, to walk this earth as, as a man, had no sin. And when he died on that cross, he dismantled the works of the enemy. He was raised from the dead on the third day, proving that he was God, because death couldn't hold him because he was sinless. And so he had defeated all of that chaos. He defeated that storm, raised from the dead. And now he offers us eternal life. And the forgiveness of sins. So for those of you that have never accepted Christ, maybe today is your day. Because let me tell you, if the Lord does not deliver us from the storm in this life, we have the blessed assurance that if not in this life, then in the next life. That there is eternal life that comes for us. I remember watching a, um, one of these documentaries on ancient Rome, and they spoke about the gladiatorial games, and many of the Christians that were martyred for their faith in the gladiatorial games, you know, they would be rounded up and for their faith, they would say recant and they would say no. And then they would often either face wild beasts or gladiators who would then kill them in the arena while people clapped. And then you think to yourself, but Lord, why would they have to endure that? Lord, why would they have to go through all that suffering? But let me tell you, they had a blessed assurance. They knew who Jesus was and they knew that this tent that we live in, eventually will come to nothing and we will be reunited with the Lord for glory and all eternity. And that's the good news of the gospel. And if not in this life, we have that blessed assurance. But regardless, how many of you are still breathing? So while we are still alive, while you're still breathing, we still believe that the Lord will take us through to the other side and until his will is to come and take us until that day our faith remains strong and we continue on the mission because God is doing something in us and through us 
And may the storm that you deal with today be stilled in its time. But there is a strength that grows in those that look to Jesus. And like the refiner's fire when the difficulty comes and all the impurities come up, it's in those times of difficulty that the Lord starts to mold us and form us. We start to look more like Him. You start to become more and more resilient. And God can use us. And as I look around here with this church, I mean, you guys, it's a very young church plant, correct? I mean, how long is it? A year. Look at all these wonderful people coming to listen to me. It's awesome. Um, The Lord is busy changing, transforming each one of you for the mission. It's not only so that you can be a nicer Christian and put some money in the box. It's for the mission. That this city will never be the same and that as you mature in the Lord, He's going to use you in a mighty way to touch the lives of so many and that this city will never ever be the same because you've been transformed in the storm and you can tell people when they see you, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes their refuge in Him. Amen. Thanks so much, Dave. Maybe as you've come here this morning, there's a storm that you're facing right now. One of the greatest gifts that you can receive is a revelation of who He is in the storm. Can we pray together? Won't you bring your storm before the Lord right now? Father, I want to pray for revelation of who you are in the midst of the storm for every one of us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that we're not disgruntled, irritated, impatient, But, Father, we look to you to reveal who you are, which will be an everlasting gift, Father, for us, that we can hold on to, not only for this storm, but the storms of life, and know truly who you are in the storm. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.